Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined, as always, by the man who has definitely won his sheriff's badge. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Uh, very well. Very well. Um, how are you? Getting on? Yeah, all good. Thank you. All good. Uh, ready to, to discuss something very exciting today. So yeah. looking forward to that later on in the episode. But yeah, everything else is all good. Can't complain. I saw something quite, quite well, not exciting. So it's quite, it's quite old, but something very that made me laugh yesterday morning. So uh, I was doing some research for today's subject, just looking on YouTube to see if I could find, you know, little maybe documentaries about some of the actors or about the TV show we're talking about and stuff. And I came across the one and only time that Sean Connery, Big Tam, ever appeared on uh, the late Michael Parkinson's chat show. Have you seen it? You know something? I don't know if I have. You can. It's on YouTube, obviously. So he's on there with uh, a, quite a young Boris Johnson, um, oh. who, when he was the editor of whatever fucking Tory shite rag he was editor of before he became a Tory party leader and some other politician guy that I didn't recognise. So Parky's making a big thing about how him and Big Tam have known each other for a really long time. They're actually friends. They golf together and stuff. But this was the first time that he'd ever had uh, Connery on the chat show. And he was on to promote, uh, which I think turned out to be his last movie because apparently he had such a dreadful time filming it, uh, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, that's um, right. And Parky was asking him about, about acting. Um, and he asked him if he enjoyed making action films. And Tam's like, well, yeah. I do. I've always enjoyed making them. He said, "So he says the thing is, when you when you're going to be an actor, you have to be prepared to just make a." And then he sort of writes a word with his finger, like in the air. <laughs> and um, Parky's like, "Well, what do you mean?" And he said, "Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to use bad language on your show. But you know, it's, he said it's it's, it's okay. Um, you know, you can say whatever you like." And Sam says, "Well, you got to be prepared to make a cunt of yourself." <laughs> And I just thought, I just thought to myself, here's the boy from Fountain Bridge who's not lived in Fountain Bridge for, at that stage, for well in excess of 50, maybe even 60 years. And he's still, <laughs> got to make a cunt of yourself. But then he sort of turns and looks at, because all the way through, all the way through these interviews, roasting uh, Boris for being like an Eton schoolboy. You know what I mean? Uh, Come from okay, so every every now and again, he just he just gives uh, Boris a bit of a roasting. Um, but yeah, just, you know, you, you have to be ready to, to to make a cunt of yourself. <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. <laughs> I'll send you it. I'll, I'll dig it out my YouTube history and I'll send you it over. So. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah I'll, yeah, I'll look forward to seeing that. That's fantastic. Yeah, love a bit of Big Tam doing that. <laughs> uh, he was wearing his trousers though, was he? Yeah, we had he his trousers. Famously... Well, yeah, because he was. It was being there was a few there was a few sort of long shots of him, obviously in the the sort of tried and tested chat show format. The guest famously walks on uh, and joins mm. the and joins the interviewer and the, his fellow guests. Um, so yeah, um, he had his trousers on. I mean, it, if, he didn't look too happy to be wearing his trousers. I think he'd been quite comfortable if he just sort of slipped them off and stuck his baffies on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Tartan boxer shorts. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So that was big time. Oh, well, <clears throat> and that's our big time story of the week. That's, yeah. uh, 
<laughs> they come up with a regular feature. Yeah, of that. feature. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have to try and avoid the stories about them on the set of the Molly Maguire's. I don't think that's going to win big time any new fans. But um, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, okay, shall we have a look at what's been happening in Scotland over the last couple of weeks? Then cue the jingle. <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, what have you seen in Scotland that you'd like to share with me and our lovely listeners? Uh, Well, I thought as a sort of refreshing change of pace, I would start with some good news. Um, And Ah. I'm sure all of us in our quiet moments have aspired to be someone like this. But this comes from the Scottish Sun on the 21st of September. The headline is, the headline rather, is Heroic Rescue. Hero Scott's granddad dived into the canal to save a woman before going back to the pub to finish his drink. Um, this is, um, this is brave Davy Buchanan, 62. Uh, he was in the Canal Inn in Camelin, which is near Falkirk, uh, a couple of weeks ago, having a couple of pints, uh, when the alarm was raised. Two women, had slipped and fallen into the Forth and Clyde Canal, but one managed to get herself out and called for help. Punters raced along the canal side to find their pal, and quick-thinking Davy dived in without even taking his jacket off. Uh, the heroic pensioner managed to get the woman to get to the woman and help her to safety. And as if nothing had happened, the valiant punter returned to the pub and finished his drink, still wearing his soaking wet clothes. Uh, the, courage, the courageous granddad told the Falkirk Herald, You don't think twice in situations like that, you just do what you can. I never even thought to take my jacket off. Just emptied out my pockets and jumped in. <laughs> <laughs> you could see she was in trouble, and drifting in and out of consciousness, so something had to be done. Uh, Davy's heroic act has gained him a very special nickname, and his fellow, rep- his fellow pub regulars got him a special gift his very own Baywatch lifeguard shorts uh, <laughs> pub landlord Fraser Cromer said Davy jumped in without a second thought well actually his first thought was emptying his pockets <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not sure what his second thought was I'll just keep my jacket on uh, Davy jumped in without a second thought and between them they lifted her out got her into the recovery position until the emergency services arrived I then soggy Davy came back into the pub to dry off and finish his pint. We now call him the Camelin Davy Hasselhoff, and we presented them with a pair of red Baywatch shorts. But both Davy and both Davy and Fraser echoed fears about a lack of safety features around the canal. The pub owner has also said he flagged issues with light, with lighting, and a lack of flotation devices in that particular area with the council and with Scottish canals. Uh, Hero Davy said, "I'm just glad she's okay." Over the years, there have been too many people who have drowned in that stretch of the canal. Thankfully, this wasn't another one. So, that's David Buchanan. I'm sure we've all thought to ourselves, how fucking cool would it be to be in the right place at the right time and pull off a heroic rescue and then do something cool afterwards, like go back and finish your pint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what you want to be to be doing because it can make you just look super cool. Like you're just like, ah, it's no bother. I do this type of thing every day. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's nice to be to be heroic. Yeah. I, I, I've never done anything like that. I have fallen in that same canal. I'm sure I've told the story before, like when my father, my late father was trying to demonstrate the dangers of walking on a frozen canal by ramming a stick through the fucking ice and plunging us both into the icy waters. But we were right next to the bank, so we were able to scramble out 
you must see a few people take a dive into the canal living in Amsterdam. Nothing but yeah, canals. I have yeah, you have done because I, I live right on a well a river effectively, and yeah, there has been. Well, I mean, you see people jumping in and going swimming all the time, which is just <laughs> crazy. But yeah, there has been a couple of times that I've looked out the window and there's been like loads of police and an ambulance and stuff around, and they've been fishing somebody out. Yeah, um, or you'll see the police boats looking for a body. Um, mm. Not nice. I think that one of the highest risks and dangers it said in one of the news stories was. It's actually people in like the city centre. It's tourists that they're they're obviously a bit pished or stoned. Mm. So then they go onto the side of the canal to have a pish, and <laughs> maybe their trousers have like fallen down, <laughs> and then they they fall in, and then obviously they're fucked because they can't like they kick their legs. Swim. Yeah, yeah. So that's um, that's quite a high cause of uh, of drowning. Yeah, the canals here. I remember when I worked at uh, Frankie and Benny's on Paisley Road in Glasgow. Uh, the restaurant sits right uh, on the edge of the River Clyde, so you, you can see the Clyde out the window. And I remember one day on the, on the opposite side, there was a couple of guys uh, who it was really a sunny day, and they decided so they. The tide was down, was out rather, so the water level was down. And there's a couple of mm. sort of ledges about maybe five or six feet down from the edge of the canal wall. And they decided to climb down and lie on them and sunbathe. So it taps off, you know. And mm. uh, yeah. one of them rolled, or moved, shifted his weight and fell right into the canal. End <laughs> end of the river. Uh, fortunately, he was able to climb out because the ledge was next to like a ladder. You know, the, the, the sort of rungs that, right. that are cut into the wall. So he was able to kind of put himself out and it looked like he was going to be in a pair of tracky bottoms. So uh, it wasn't, <laughs> if he had been wearing jeans, it might be a different story, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah what I mean, is it, what is it about what is it about you lately and uh, drowning and, and nautical themes? You know, the last three picks you've had on the Swally have all been uh, <laughs> no. boats or drowning or <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. And now you're giving us news stories about yeah. it. Is there something you want to tell us? Is this a new fascination you have? I don't know. I mean, ever since I uh, was in Amsterdam a few weeks ago and I was I was uh, putting about like in a wee electric boat around the canals, um, maybe. Um, Maybe I've got I've got the the soul of a seaman in my uh, in my blood, <laughs> like, like Mark Harmon. <laughs> yeah, t- two pints. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, that's um, oh, it's a lovely story and and good to hear. That's brilliant. They gave him a pair of red Baywatch shorts, yeah. and uh, I just hope he isn't out modelling them in the. <laughs> The evening, looking for someone else to save, doing a David Hasselhoff impression. Well, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and one of the producers of the podcast, who's also essentially one of the hosts, was talking about how much he used to love Baywatch when he, because not for the reasons that we love Baywatch. We, I think he's a bit young. <laughs> I think he's a bit younger than okay. us. I think he was excited about the the like the, the actual rescues and the and the action, not the sight of Yasmin Belief and Pamela Anderson like running in slow motion along the beach. And he was saying yeah. that one one of the other guys was like, You should um you should buy like one of the classic flotation devices, you know, like the sort of flotation thing mm-hmm. that used to run down the beach with. And he yeah. said and he said, Oh the but they'll be really, really expensive. So a quick check on eBay. 25 quid each you can get one. Like a ah. rep- a replica, obviously, not like an actual prop from the show, yeah. but no. Yeah, twenty five. But yeah, if if it was your favourite show, that's the type of thing you would. Of course, you would want yeah, and to have absolutely. a little flotation device. Yeah. Nice. Anyway, yeah, that's my good. that's uh, Davy the hero Buchanan slash Hasselhoff. What's your first story this week? I think we've had maybe a couple of stories like this on the Swally over the last few years before, but it's always nice when you see a story like this and uh, 
Always makes me chuckle. So this is from the Daily Record this week, Greg. A Scot has been left stunned after finding Lewis Capaldi's face in his bag of chips. Andrew Thompson, 34, couldn't believe his eyes when he unwrapped his food to find the Someone You Loved singer staring back at him. The estate agent was headed along to the Hippie Chippy on Broomland Road Street <laughs> in Paisley for his lunch on Wednesday afternoon before he made the discovery. After getting back to his office, he opened up his chips and sent a picture of his meal to his partner. It wasn't until he looked at the picture on his phone that he noticed the patches of grease on his chippy paper had formed in a way that bears a striking resemblance to the West Lothian star. And I have to agree, actually, it does fucking look exactly <laughs> like Lewis Capaldi in this photo. I'll send it over to you. Okay. Um, Andrew from Paisley told the record, I got back to the office, opened up my steaming chips and added red sauce. <laughs> then I took... <laughs> Then I took a photograph of my lunch for my missus, and that's when I noticed it. I couldn't believe it. It was Lewis Capaldi's face. <laughs> the first thing I did was take a bunch of photographs. Then I showed a few mates round the office, and they were in hysterics. Uh, pictures of Andrew's bag of chips show an image in the wrapper, which appears to be an uncanny likeness of Capaldi's face, with his eyes, nose and mouth perfectly positioned. Andrew, who is a huge fan of the singer, now hopes to get the rapper framed and sent to the star. He added, I just thought it was great. I'm a huge fan of Capaldi. He's a funny chap and he would love to see this. I know he's having a bit of a hard time lately and has taken a break, but I think if he sees this, it'll cheer him up. (laughs) I'm hoping the image stays on the paper so I can frame it and try to send it to him. If you're reading this, Lewis, drop us a message and I'll send you your face on a bag of chips. <laughs> I mean, it's so... It's the thought that counts, right? Fair play. You know, it's the thought that counts. I mean, I think Lewis has been, you know, it's been very um, open about struggling with like his Tourette's and stuff and he's having to take a break because I think he's like ADHD and mm-hmm. anxiety and he is suffering. But Andrew thinks that just showing him his face in a bag of chips is just going to cure it all and, and cheer him up. But, you know, good on him. Like, it's, it's fair enough. But Who takes a photo of their lunch to send to their missus? That's the first thing that I would be asking in that. And who's going to the hippie chippy for their lunch? I mean, I occasionally, if I'm having something for lunch that I think my wife would like... I might send her a picture of okay. it. Okay, <laughs> being honest. Okay, but if All I right, was fair enough, but the, but you know, if I was to like, be having like a a sort of couscous feta and radish salad, and it formed like Bob Marley's face or something <laughs> at the bottom of the little box, I'm not sure that I would be sending a picture to Paula because she'd probably think I'd lost my fucking marbles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you wouldn't really be able to see it properly. Um, but yeah, interesting. I always love it when there's something like that. In terms of you know somebody's face, I mean, yeah. we, we had, often see them online a lot. Well, we had one, didn't we? Uh, I think it was earlier this year or last year with a lady that found we we felt he looked more like Alvin Stardust, but um, she claimed it was yes. Elvis in her in her ketchup pot. Um, that's right. And she was scraping yes, it, that's that's correct. Scraping it out. And do you know something? The yeah. other week, John Robbins and Ellis James, uh, they've got an occasional item. Uh, on their weekly radio show in Live Five called like in in your region or something like that, and they read that story. Mm. They read that story out. That very same what, story. The one about the about Alvin what, Stardust. The sauce one. Yeah, about Elvis. Oh wow. Sauce. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Oh, we got we we got there first. We scooped them. Yep, yeah, we scooped them to it. Like 
a long time before they found it. Yeah, that was a while ago. That was probably when the Elvis film was coming out, because I imagine that's what yeah. we're trying to capitalise on. Yeah, that's what it was probably around <laughs> about that time. That's what the wee lady in Dundee was trying to capitalise on, trying to get some of that, some of that Elvis movie marketing money. <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, so that is Lewis Capaldi in Chips. Oh, the chip wrapper. So um, if I remember, I'll stick a photo on the Instagram. Probably forget, but uh, I'll try and remember to do that later on. Uh, What else have you seen this week, Greg? Well, yeah, I've got yet another, depending on how you look at it, a supernatural story or or people lying about ghosts, depending on how you feel about all that. Um, But this is a a hen party. So this comes from the the Star, a little earlier this month, the Daily Star, that is. Um, The headline reads, Hen party flees Scottish beauty spot after haunting group photo unearths lake tragedy. Uh, so the pre-wedding celebrations took a spooky turn after the women who travelled to the remote estate were left horrified by what they found when you look back in their pictures. So the gang of friends they'd headed up to uh, a remote estate. It doesn't actually say the name of the estate. It just says the remote estate. Mm. The journalist has omitted the name of it. It's an Argyllan Butte. Um, the gang of friends headed up there to enjoy themselves before a friend's upcoming wedding, but their night of fun was ruined after they spotted something in the background of a team picture they took back and onto the loch. Further investigations into the appearance of a young boy in their photograph coughed up some sinister results. A strange use of the word, <laughs> strange use of the word coughed there, with the hen party believing they had spotted the blue boy. Now, I can't say the words the blue boy without the refrain, dun, 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 you know that song? So I went to my red list today, that's you know that song that just the part of that song kept coming into my head um so the blue what, boy remember me by the blue boy yeah the band was called the blue yeah. boy yeah uh yeah. The, the blue boy was the subject of a film broadcast by the bbc back in the 1990s about a four-year-old uh, who drowned sadly in loch Eck. The Emma Thompson featuring dramatisation has since seen a popularisation of an alleged haunting at the lake, which happened when a boy drowned in the 17th century. Images of the boy and the hen party emerged and sparked a massive online debate. Uh, Someone read it, (laughs) questioned whether the photograph was real, while others said that they would not sleep tonight due to the eerie sighting. Uh, The Blue Boy screenwriter Paul Merton previously said of the haunting, I was talking to the hotelier about it and he mentioned the blue boy. Uh, This, he said, was a young child who had been on holiday with his parents in the hotel and he had been sleepwalking during the night. He had strayed outside, fallen into the loch and drowned. When they found his body, it was blue with the cold. Hotel staff had noticed that things like cutlery and plates were often out of place for no apparent reason. Perhaps more sinister uh, than that was the fact that they sometimes found wet footprints up the stairs in the corridor. So I'm looking at this picture. Look, I know that people want to believe in these kind of things, right? It's fine. The so-called ghostly boy looks like a little boy from like maybe like a 1970s public information film about the dangers of playing in a pylon station or something. Um, He he looks a wee bit Mm. like Tucker Jenkins (laughs) like in in the original episodes of Grange Hill. Uh, and the, the the ladies are all in the sort of classic ladies on holiday sort of team picture. They've got masks of their friend, the friend's face for some reason. They're sort of assembled on a stack of like chopped up flat logs. And the wee boy, the the, the alleged ghost of the wee boy is kind of peeking around in the left hand corner of this. I mean, he, he, he actually looks like he's trying to look up the girl's skirts, <laughs> to be quite honest. <laughs> um, 
So what do you think it is then? Because is it just a random wee boy or is it? Is I, think it it's a, I, th- I, th- I think it's a slow news day, mate, to be quite honest, because it said <laughs> that they f- fleed the uh, beauty spot in terror after looking back at the, on their pictures, you know, so like, were they just sitting in the bar that night looking at the pictures on their phone and saw this little, this wee guy in there that made them all scared? I don't know. They, he uses the word coughed up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they just thought, who's this little pervert trying to look up our skirts? And then <laughs> yeah. they, they it fled. Must, it must be a ghost. I'm going to, I'm going to send you the picture right now. So you can uh, let me know your thoughts. I mean, I'm, I'm very cynical about these sort of things, as we've well established in the podcast over the years. I think it's a lot of attention-seeking nonsense. But um, anyway, I'll send it over to you. What's your thoughts? Is that a ghostly little boy? Or is that just a wee pervert trying to look at... Because the girls are wearing quite short skirts. Some, some the girls on the edges of the pictures. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the one on the, the far right. Yeah, it's definitely a... You should have moved over to get a better view. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. just looks like a... A wee boy, I see what you mean. Looks a bit like Tucker Jenkins, but yeah, just, I don't know. It's just a a wee boy, like probably out fishing or something. And yeah. I don't mean like that. I don't, I don't even know what that would mean, fishing. Um, <laughs> like looking up girls' skirts. But um, yeah, he's just out and about. No, I don't think it's a, a ghostly yes. apparition. But um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just a wee boy trying to photo bomb the photo. It's, uh, just uh, Tucker looking for Benny and Alan and the guys, you know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. That's my uh, that's my story. What's your next one this week? Well, we're going back to the nineties, Greg. Well, not actually going back to the nineties because I'm not sure when the, the <laughs> date of it was. But I think it was about ten years ago. It says that this this occurred, but um, it's a. We're going to be speaking about the 90s band Fun Loving Criminals. Mm. Remember them? I do, yeah. I like the Fun Loving yeah. Criminals. That first album. Yeah, anyway. I quite liked them. Yeah. So, yeah, that first album. I couldn't name anything else, really. That, <laughs> you know, I think they've, they've basically dined out on that album for the, the rest of their career, I would yeah. say. But uh, hey, you know, it was a good album. You know, Scooby Snacks was a, mm-hmm. a good song that we all enjoyed and I, I fondly remember. But uh, this is from Glasgow Times yesterday and uh, a fun-loving criminals member has told how glasgow ended his stage diving career right frank ben beanie fun-loving criminals drummer and lead singer of a band called uncle frank had said that the city is famous for seeing his last ever dive into the audience speaking with the glasgow times frank said glasgow is famous for uncle frank for being the very last stage dive that i ever did it was about 10 years ago they're american aren't they from yeah yeah yeah. from new york yeah i'm not going to do the I'm not going to do the accent. Um, It it was about 10 years ago and we were finishing up our set in the Glasgow Barrowlands. It was crazy and it was the last song. I was known to occasionally do stage dives, which are quite scary because I'm a big dude. So I always make sure the area I'm planning to land is also full of big dudes. Okay, Frank. There's a time and a place for that. Uh, As you know, it's Glasgow. They're ready for everything. So so they were encouraging me. Come on, Frank. Jump. (laughs) So... So I did a huge dive and I remember landing and knocking my head back. And as I was walking to the dressing room, I noticed there was blood coming from my two front teeth. I didn't think anything of it. I went for a shower and people were coming back for autographs and photos. This young girl came back and she went, Frank, that was brilliant. Will you sign my album? I said, of course. And as I was signing it, she goes, oh, by the way, you landed on me during your stage dive. (laughs) And I thought, fuck, I could have killed her. She was so little. Then she lifted her fringe and showed me that she had two teeth marks with some blood on her forehead. And I went, oh my God, they're my teeth. She laughed about it. She laughed about it and thought it was the best thing. 
But I said, I'm never doing that ever again. Uh, Frank is set to play at Stereo in the City on October the 9th with his band Uncle Frank. And the show comes after the group's newest album, Diablo, will be released on October the 6th. Frank said he cannot wait to return to the wicked city. He said, Glasgow is such a great place to play music. It's wicked. The amount of crazy nights we've had in the Barrowlands, I can't even tell you. I have so many fond memories. It's such a beautiful place. I always say that we're playing catch-up the minute we get to Glasgow, the venue, because everyone in the crowd is always so merry. (laughs) In other parts of the world, we're usually the merry ones and everyone is a bit docile. (laughs) (laughs) Docile. Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. So, yeah, there might even be a few famous faces in the crowd. Franken said, uh, some of the characters that we've had come along to see our shows in the past were just crazy. We've had Glasgow gangsters and even famous actors. We had Martin Compton once, as well as the bass player, the bass player, <laughs> the bass player from Biffy Clyro, oh. and an actor from Train Spotting. Doesn't say who it is. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, tickets for Uncle Frank's Glasgow show are on sale now. So there you go. Uh, yeah, he managed to wedge his teeth into some poor girl's head when he went stage diving. But um, have you ever stage dived, Greg? N- no, never ever done it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not like I've got sort of too much regard for my own well-being and evidently trust issues <laughs> as well. But uh, I can just imagine the sort of the sea of people parting and connecting with like a beer-drenched like dance floor. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, probably not the best. We all we, we all know that no. you you used to love a little stage dive, didn't you? Back in the day. I, I know. I've never actually stage dived. Um, I've always wanted to, but I never stage dived. But I used to crowd surf all the time. Oh, that's it. I was going to say, um, why 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 did yeah. Ocean Colour Scene throw you out? But it was for crowd surfing. That was for yeah, for crowd yeah. surfing. I think that was the last time I ever crowd surfed. Um, because it got thrown out. Um, but yeah, I remember I used to love it. I remember crowd surfing, going to see Oasis and Radiohead. Crowd surfed at that. Manic Street Preachers crowd surfed like twice at that gig. That was brilliant. Um, and then yeah, Ocean Colour Scene and got thrown out. I was like fucking cunts. <laughs> so yeah, well, went right off Ocean Colour Scene after that. And I've, I mean, I've, it wasn't their fault, you know. But well, or was it? You know, you might have been, you might have been kind of pointed out by one of them. Saying, Get that fucking lout out of here. <laughs> I've not even played the Riverboat song yet, and he's fucking acting like a cunt. <laughs> I am um, like I've never been like I used to enjoy going to gigs, but I never liked to get too near the front because I think I think the closest I ever got was when you and I watched the Wu Tang Clan at um, Tina Park, and we were okay, we're, yeah. we're very near the front, as I recall, like really close. And my sister she made her way right to the front and asked one of the security guys to pull her over so she could walk round because she was getting crushed. That's um, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, I never, never really liked it. And they, we went to see Guns N' Roses a few months ago. We were quite near the front, and I was sort of dreading it a bit, but it was fine because it wasn't like yeah. it wasn't like those exciting, like amped up days <laughs> of going. You know what I mean? Like the average yeah. Guns N' Roses fan is probably about my age, um, or even a little bit older, so not quite as rambunctious as uh, as we were back then. But uh, yeah. you know, I just I like to be I like to be able to I like, I like a good view of the band, but not so I've got somebody like dribbling my ear or leaning on me, you know, or climbing on me to to crowd surf. <laughs> yeah, I would say I used to love being down at the front, um, or I, I'd, I'd like to be down at the front or in the middle. So I could crowd surf yeah. when I was younger. And then, you know, but then I would go to back down the front. But yeah, the older I've got, the further back I stand when I go. I yeah. Think now I'm like... You want to be able to like, leave. And to be honest. <laughs> when it's finished. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want perfect proximity. So I've got a view of the band. I'm close to the bar. 
close to the toilet and have close to the exit. Yeah. And generally, usually look up the set lists online so you know what the last song they're going to play is. As soon as that starts, if you don't like it, I'm off. So that's the, <laughs> the kind of the way I'll be going. Plus, a lot of the bands and music I go to see nowadays, it's not exactly the kind of stuff you're going to be rocking out to yeah, at, yeah. at the front. More colourful and contemplative. One of the last concerts I think I remember being right at the front for was Public Enemy at the Music Hall. And I was glad I did because I got a high five from Flavor Flav. So that was like fucking night made. Yeah. He came down like the little gangway at the front and went along the front row giving everyone high fives. So that was, um, yeah, that was good. That made my night that night. I used to be quite friendly with a guy uh, called Darren Jones. I hope he won't won't mind me telling this story. Um, But uh, I knew him through the sort of circuit of nights out and stuff so like I was actually at school with his younger sister but Darren was one of those kids that we all looked up to a little bit I mean he was he was a big Guns N' Roses yeah. fan like massive Guns N' Roses fan um, at the time he even had his he had long blonde kind of wavy hair he looked a bit like Duff he used to wear leather trousers to nights out and stuff like that and I bumped into him at Tea in the Park in 1996 it was the first Tea in the Park I went to and um mm-hmm. And I'd sort of lost the people that I was with because they'd gone to see the fucking... They'd gone to Talent Tent or something like that. And I was like, fuck that. <laughs> fucking don't go and see a band. I don't want to go and watch somebody play a song without a chorus. Fuck that. I want to go and uh, <laughs> soak up some atmosphere. So um, I happened to bump into Darren and a few of the other guys. And they said, oh, we're going to go and watch The Prodigy. Do you want to come with us? And I was like, yeah, yeah. So we got there a wee bit early before the project started and we're quite close to the front. And Darren had a plastic cup of cider that he was sipping, drinking. So, like, it's getting closer to the project coming on. People are coming behind us, getting busier and busier. And Darren's like, oh, fuck, I should have gone for a pish before we before we came here. <laughs> so he's he's wearing a sort of white shirt untucked under his leather jacket, and he's got his leather trousers on. So he just fucking sticks to the cup under his shirt, pishes into the plastic cup, and then launched it over his shoulder behind him. I was like, I oh, Jesus. cannot believe you just fucking did that. <laughs> he says what he said. His, his defence was, we're standing here for an hour holding a pint of pish. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, that is fair enough. I see yeah. his point there. But yeah, oh, come on. That's disgusting. That is howling. Oh, man. Why, how do people do that? That's, uh, that's rotten. Oh, no. I know. No, 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 no. So whenever I get a splash or anything at like a concert ever since, I've always, it's, all, it's always at the back of my mind. Is this somebody's pish that's just fucking... It's... You know... <laughs> I'd say there's a 90% chance that it probably is somebody's pish that you've been splashed with. Yes, I would I would say so if you're at a concert. It depends on the concert. If you've gone to see then like the Hans Zimmer or something, then yeah. probably not. But yeah, I'd imagine it probably is piss. I'm sure our mutual friend would still be reaching for the lasers at Hans Zimmer, though. Just imagine it, couldn't you? Yes. Yes, I can, actually. Yes. <laughs> do, 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 oh. do, doing the helicopter to the Inception soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never mind. Deary me. Okay, Greg. Um, have you seen anything else in the news this week? Uh, nope. That's all. That's all I've got this week. Okay. Well, before we get on to our sponsor, Greg, and before we get on to what we're going to be talking about today, I've got a little game. Would you like to play a little game? Love to. Okay. Right. So we are going to be talking about shortly a classic episode of Tagger mm-hmm. and Tagger, one of the longest-running Scottish TV shows, and it was always kind of well-renowned as being that show. That Scottish actors would cut their teeth in. They'd yeah. always appear. Uh, everyone's been in Tagger. I have got a list of 10 Scottish actors that have all appeared on the Swally before. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell you to tell me, have they been 
in an episode of Taggart. Okay. So I haven't quite, I couldn't pick a proper name. I've, I've got, I'm, I'm stuck between are they Taggart or Taggart? <laughs> <laughs> or are they Mark McManus, who famously appeared in a few episodes of Tagger, or are they Michelle McManus, who, who? didn't appear in Tagger? So I'll leave up to you. I think Taggart or Taggart's got a better laugh, so we'll go with that. Okay, so ten Scottish actors. I'll give them an introduction, you know, you know, you know, and then you can tell me if they've been in Taggart. Okay. So I'll start off with I'll start off with not an easy one, but I'll start off with one. He's only been in one episode of the Culture Swally so far which is a shocking shame, but he's not in a lot of Scottish stuff. Mm. But I think he would be described as a bit of a national treasure. Okay. I give you Alan Cumming. Has Alan Cumming ever appeared in Taggart? Uh, Tag art. Yes, he has. Uh, He was in three episodes in 1986. He was in the series Death Call. Mm. So yes, you got that right. Well done. Okay, number two. I would say if we were to come up with a top five Scottish actors list this guy would be knocking close he, he would definitely be there or thereabouts he's made five appearances on the Culture Swally to date but has David Heyman ever been in an episode of Taggart hmm. it feels like he should he definitely should have been but I I think Heyman was maybe a wee bit too famous by the time Taggart had started unless unless maybe no I don't think no I want to say Tag aren't according to the internet movie database which i believe the kids call imdb <laughs> david Heyman has never been in an yeah. episode of taggart i thought it's not yeah, yeah. thought Surprise. that yeah yeah okay uh number three he's made five appearances on the culture swally so far and i believe he was my first choice for my swally tug of war team <laughs> rab affleck has rab affleck ever been in Taggart. Again, it feels like he definitely should have appeared in an, an episode of Taggart just because, you know, when Taggart was in its pomp, that's probably when Affleck's star was highest. But I think it's too easy. I'm going to say Tag aren't. Oh, I'm afraid Rab Affleck has appeared in two episodes of Taggart, Greg. In oh. 1998, he played a character called Max Muscle. <laughs> and him. And he was also in a 2008 episode playing a character called Walker Glass. I guess yeah. Max Muscle didn't get resurrected. So, yeah. Okay, so you're on uh, two out of three so far. Okay, All right. uh, okay no- number four. He has made six appearances on the Culture Swally, uh, two of which were playing the same character because it was something we did the sequel of. And that's the role he'll be remembered for for the right. rest of his career, let's say. It's Ewan Bremner. Has Ewan Bremner ever been in an episode of Taggart. I think he has. I think I, when I've been watching stuff about Taggart, I think he has the piece. I'm going to say Taggart. Ewan Bremner was in the 1990 episode Love Knot and ah. made one appearance in Taggart. So yes, you've yeah. got your back, your back. back. Three out of four so far. Okay, number five, Greg. I can't believe this This guy's only made four appearances on the Culture Swally so far, which is something I think we need to rectify. Because mm. again, he's a very much of an elder statesman and someone that I know we both hugely like and love watching. But has Bill Patterson ever been in an episode of Taggart? We know he played Ali Fraser in Ovida's Zane Pet. Yeah. But has he ever been in Taggart? I'm going to say Tag aren't. I think, I think Bill's probably too much of an established actor. Bill Patterson has never been in an episode of yeah. Taggart. Yeah. Ah, four out of five. You're on fire, Greg. I mean, he was a movie star. He was he was a movie star, like around about the time that 
Killer came out, so he had done Comfort and Joy. Yeah. You know? All right, all right. Okay, okay. <laughs> so I guess that was too easy for you then, was it? <laughs> Jesus. It's like being at school, I just got to show my working out. You know? <laughs> okay, uh, number six on the list. Cunty bunty, cunty bunty, how does your big minge grow? Shirley Henderson. <laughs> She's made six appearances on the Cultures Valley so far. <laughs> but has Shirley Henderson ever been in an episode of Taggart? She's known probably to millions as Moaning Myrtle, but yeah. has she ever been moaning in, Mar- in Mary Hill? <laughs> My instinct tells me that that's a tag aren't. Shirley Henderson has never appeared in an episode of Taggart. Yeah. You are correct, Greg. So five out of six so far. You're on fire. Okay, he has made eight appearances on the Culture Swally so far, and he's someone that we love as well, and he's Peter Mullen's best mate. But Gary Lewis, has Gary Lewis ever appeared in Taggart? Hmm. It's a pure guess, but I'm going to say tag aren't. Gary Lewis has appeared in three episodes of Taggart, playing two different characters. He was in two episodes in 1996 and one episode in 2008. So, five out of seven so far. I stopped watching it by then. She's made four appearances on the Culture Swally, but she'll always be known as Isabel from Take the High Road. Eileen McCallum. Has Eileen McCallum ever been in Taggart? Um... I feel like she has. I'm going to say Tag Art. Eileen McCallum has appeared in six episodes of Taggart, <laughs> playing two different characters. She was in episodes in 1986 and then reprised the same character in 1990, which well, is odd like, for yeah, Taggart. Yeah. And then played a completely different character in three episodes in 1994. So, yep, she has been in Taggart. So, we're on six out of eight. It's getting exciting. Um, he's made seven appearances on the Culture Swally so far. And a varying degree of roles. He died of toxoplasmosis in train spotting, but did Kevin McKidd ever die or kill anyone in Taggart? Um I'm gonna say Tag aren't. Kevin McKidd has never appeared yeah. in an episode of Taggart. So yeah. So oh seven out of nine. Okay. We're going for the final one now, Greg. He's in fucking everything. <laughs> including uh, I've never seen it, but I'm led to believe he is in Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Can't remember who told me that. Um or if it's ever been mentioned on this valley. But Matt Costello. Has Matt Costello ever been in Taggart? Uh, I know that he definitely has been in Taggart. And I even know the, the run that he's on because he stars opposite Cosmo and the one that Cosmo's in as well. They play uh, exterminators, like pest exterminators. Yep, Matt Costello has been in five episodes of Taggart playing three different characters <laughs> in 1988, 2005 and 2008. So, well, Greg, you uh, scored an, an incredible... Eight out of ten on that run. So uh, I'm very impressed. It was just Gary Lewis and Rab Affleck that let you down. It's my undoing. Yeah, I should have known really that Gary Lewis would have done a tiger. I don't know why I I thought he hadn't. Anyway, I'll take that. I'll take eight out of ten. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Not bad at all. It was actually quite a difficult game of research because every actor that I thought of and you check their IADB and you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, they've been in Tagger. Like, I came, <laughs> I came up with some belters and I've checked and I'm like, oh, fuck, they were in one episode in 1996. Like, ah, oh, shite the bed. Um, okay. Well, never mind. Well, that concludes Tag Art or Tag Aren't. Right. So before we go on to what we're going to be talking about today, which is Tag Art, let's have a little word from our sponsor. And our sponsor on this episode is Doric Skateboards. Doric Skateboards is a skateboard brand created by Gary Kemp, whose main focus is to explore the people and culture of Aberdeen and the North 
east of Scotland and to create designs that reflect that area. Dorrit Skateboards screen print their own decks in their studio by Gary's Fair Hand and they've produced some amazing designs over the years, including an Annie Lennox inspired board, a Robert the Bruce deck and a plenty of pop deck inspired by the old Bonacord trucks that used to drive around Aberdeen delivering fizzy drinks. Dorrit Skateboards also replicate these amazing designs onto their clothing on 100% organic cotton tees, hoodies and sweatshirts and you can fill your boots on stickers, pin badges, beanies, caps and a whole lot more. Gary regularly collaborates with local artists to ensure he brings the latest designs to the market but always with a Doric twist, including their amazing new Northfield Tower design. Check out Doric Skateboards for yourself on DoricSkateboards.com and follow them on Instagram at Doric Skateboards to see the amazing designs that they have on offer. And we are delighted to be able to offer you 15% off as listeners to this podcast. All you need to do is head to DoricSkateboards.com, have a look at the amazing decks, stickers, badges, hoodies, tees and hats, everything they have on offer, and enter the promo code SWALLY. That's S-W-A-L-L-Y, all in block capitals. Same with the name of this podcast to get your 15% off. That's DoricSkateboards.com. All right, so it was your turn this week, Nikki. So what we're going to be talking about on the Culture Swally today? Well, Greg, as I mentioned on the last episode, it's been a long time since we've done an episode of Tagger, and mm. for the fact it was one of the you know Scotland's longest-running TV shows, I thought it's about time we did another episode. So we are looking at the classic Tagger episodes, Nest of Vipers, which was originally broadcast on ITV in three weekly parts from the 9th to the 23rd of January 1992. In this series, the discovery of two skulls at a building site causes DCI Jim Tagger to reopen a missing person inquiry from four years earlier. As a university professor begins to reconstruct the faces of the murder victims, a batch of poisonous snakes and spiders are stolen from a Glasgow biotech company and are then used in a bizarre killing spree. Is the killer trying to cover up his crimes? And can Taggart, Jardine and Reed crack the case before more people die? Starring Mark McManus, James McPherson, Blythe Duff and a very young Dugray Scott, we must have mentioned this episode countless mm. times on the Swally. It's always kind of the classic go-to for us, Nest of Vipers. And I remember watching it when it very first aired in 1992, but I'd never seen it since. But what about yourself, Greg? What are your memories of Nest of Vipers and had you watched it since it aired? Did you watch it when it first aired? Yeah, I mean, I watched it when it when it was first shown as well. I remember sitting watching it with my mum in 1992. Yeah. Um, and the thing was, I mean, 1992, I was 14, uh, coming up for 15, and I... Uh, um, the real thing about spiders. I've since be, be, yeah. being a father has uh, helped me to sort it out, and you know I'm much better now. But um, but back then I was pretty arachnophobic. So it I, for all the obvious, for all the reasons you just mentioned, this one really really resonated with me. <laughs> but Tiger as a show was always one that uh, we watched as a family. Well, I say a family. Mm. Me, me, my mum, and my stepfather later on when he came along. And uh, yeah, this was one that uh, really stuck in my mind. Yeah, I think it's. I'm exactly the same as you. I used to watch Taggart with my mum. And something about this one just really sticks with me. And I think I remember I was going away on a like a school skiing trip. We went to Braemar and it must have been about January or February. So around about the time that this first aired. Mm. And I think it was after it aired. And I remember like it was kind of one of the first times I'd been away without my mum type thing because it was a class trip. Yeah. 
and I was sharing a room and I remember checking my bed every night in case there was a snake in it because you know and I did that for years and yeah. that's what, what this episode really does like it really taps into something that a lot of people will have a fear of mm. snakes and spiders and Taggart has always been such a, a great show in terms of you know it's gritty and it's realistic like none of the murders are like over the top and stuff I mean, yeah I mean in Killer there is a guy choking women with stockings and stuff and yeah. it's, it's I think that's it's always been realistic but this just really plays on the fear really well and I remember it being shocking at the time and you know the image that you get later on of that snake slithering into Douglas's bed as soon mm. as I saw that I was just transported back and I remember seeing that for the first time and being a bit scared Yeah, and yeah for, for years I would always well not years but I remember checking my bed for, for snakes and spiders afterwards because it was a just scary thought that that could happen yeah I mean my my sort of fear of sp- Snakes were never one that I was particularly worried about because snakes always seemed... I know we do have... We have adders in Scotland, but they're, like, up in the Trossachs and the countryside and everything. So, like, snakes were always, were always something that I would never worry about because... It'd be, like, it'd be like worrying about a lion or something or, or a hippo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas um, <laughs> spiders just always just fucking gave me the willies and my arachnophobia was uh, quite a, it sort of made me quite a figure of fun around the house uh, with my loving family and I remember it came back to me really distinctly watching this back so I don't think I'd watched it since the first time it came out uh, back in mm. 1992, I don't think I had and I rem- they, one of the early scenes when Dr. Nielsen picks up a wee plastic tub and there's the, the spider in it, I remember my mother mm. turning to look at me with her eyes wide like <laughs> <laughs> just to just basically cunting me off because I was a big Jesse that was scared of spiders. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a bit cruel, uh, but yeah, in the in the lab that they're in with all those spiders and snakes, yeah, it's it's going to give anyone a bit of a heebie-jeebies. And in fact, that's what a lot of the the cops kind of allude to. Mm. Um, you know, they are a bit scared in terms of the snakes and how can you work with them and you know, but but the the generally the, the doctors and of course the zookeeper calling that we meet later on, you know, they've got no fear of being around these animals and, and handling them in the yeah. the way they have. And it's quite matter of fact when as later on when I think um Jardine's speaking to Christine and, and asks if I've ever been bitten or anything and she does say no, like Dr. Nielsen has a couple of times, but you know, I guess that's sort yeah, of by part, the by. part of yeah. the job really. And it's okay because we keep anti-venom on site, so it's all fine. Yeah, I know. Fuck that. I mean, I, I do find those types of creatures quite interesting, but I, I wouldn't like to. I wouldn't like to work in a laboratory with things like that. Fuck that. Um, even now, <laughs> fuck that. But uh, yeah, no. I thought what I liked about this one, watching it as a as a sort of relatively mature adult, is it's really it's really quite it's really quite uh, original. Do you know what I mean? Because I can't, you know, like somebody committing murders using highly venomous um, creatures. I mean, it's 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 mostly snakes, and then towards the end of the poison arrow frogs. But uh, I don't think I've ever, I've never, I never, I can't think of anything that I've seen before or since that um, where that where that's the kind of plot. Like you know, it's 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 hugely original for like a murder mystery because normally it's like a sort of shadowy unseen assailant and then you have the reveal Mm. you know Um, but which I suppose you still do have to some extent because we see the killer's like feet as he's 
walking in and you mm. know and whatnot. But yeah, it's a, a massively original. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. yeah, I think I mean I might be missing, but the only thing I can really think of is because like James Bond with a tarantula mm. um, that he Doctor burns, Nolan, yeah. but then you know yeah <laughs> doesn't get to actually bite him. But yeah, the big tab leathers we shoe. <laughs> 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 Fuck off. No, it's with extreme prejudice. No no putting a jar over it and sticking a beer mat underneath. Is that fucking get that to fuck? But you're right, it's it's a really original kind of story and it and it did have me gripped over the the three episodes I watched Mm. it as like a two and a half hour um long yeah. film effectively but it did have me really gripped and i i genuinely couldn't really remember i was pretty certain the killer was but i'm thinking, yeah. did i misremember this like because it had been so long since i'd, I'd seen it and i'd forgotten I'd, you know it's amazing that the memories that come back you know i'd forgotten things like i don't speak about that later but one of the big like oh my god was when christine dies and when she's in the hospital yeah and just, you know, or i her eye just starts bleeding and her mouth and you're like holy fuck like I wasn't expecting that to happen I'm thinking ah oh, okay she'll probably live but yeah, yeah. fuck no so all those kind of memories came back watching it and yeah you're right it's a really original way and the little it's so cleverly done in terms of some of the little little mentions of things like when Christine comes home and she's like I'll turn the heating down it's a bit hot in here mm. and Jardine's like oh over exaggerating yeah, yeah. fucking hell it's hot and then you see him <laughs> click and like wait a minute oh no it's uh there's a snake in your bag it's um yeah it's quite <laughs> it's quite um, I know the poor interesting way they did it. The 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 poor wee dog did his best to like warn everybody. You know what I mean? She's yeah. like, oh, it's really <laughs> really unusual. He doesn't usually bark like this so much, you know. And you're like, well, someone's going about fucking hiding snakes in people's houses. <laughs> Maybe it's got like. You know? <laughs> um. So, uh, obviously, to talk about the show, and of course, it was great to see Mark McManus back, mm. obviously, as Taggart, because we'd, we'd missed him. He's just such a, a wonderful character and such a wonderful creation. And again, he's just got some great one-liners here. And of course, I, I know in the previous episode we spoke about, which was Killer, that was you know, the first episode, and we had the, the, the partnership um, of Taggart with uh, with Livingston. Mm. But of course, now Livingston's gone, and it's it's Jardine, Jardine like yeah. Jardine, that he's, he's with. That's classic Taggart for me. Taggart and Jardine. Yeah. And I I liked to I liked the relationship that they had. And I, I think this was must be kind of the not the beginning, but Blythe Duff joined, I think, only like a couple of years before. So they're yeah. still kind of crafting out Jackie Reed's character as well. You can tell she's still not new, but so, Yeah. And if she's not, a wee bit. She's, she, yeah. She's yeah. it's not the three that you would always kind of you know, remember. She's still involved heavily, but not quite as as much. Um but yeah, that was I, I really enjoyed seeing the the relationship there between, you know, James McPherson and Mark McManus. It's that's classic yeah. Taggart for me. Well I I watched I did a couple during the lockdown when I was but when I when I was in in my own, I watched a lot of Taggart and the S T V player like from the beginning. And there there is an ep there's a, a, a story, like a three or four episode story where Livingston and Jardine are together, you know, and I, I, it might be Livingston's. Maybe, maybe it's his last one before he, before Peter Duncan left. But it, it, it feels a little bit like him handing the the sort of baton to Jardine. Yeah, but it's actually really good because it's then it's a, it would it would have been good to have seen a few more stories with the three of them because. Mm. 
you know, the whole the, the the big juxtaposition between Livingston and Taggart was Livingston came from Edinburgh and he's a university graduate. Mm. You know, there's there's the famous we don't have ligatures in Maryhill Sun line and killer. You yeah. know, when he's and then with Jardine, he it sort of feels a bit like he's cut from the same cloth as Taggart because when he's introduced. Taggart mentions how he knew Jardine's father and everything in the sort of police family. Mm. But then the juxtaposition between Jardine and Taggart is, is that Jardine's a Christian. So he doesn't drink. Yeah. He's very religious. And uh, and Taggart basically roasts him every chance he can get. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it was it was it was quite smart because it would have been it would have been easy to have an, a, another partnership with like another generational divide in the same way that mm. Taggart and Livingston were and in different backgrounds and everything else. But you know, J- Jardine is quite he's he's not just a replacement for Livingston. He's he's very unique yeah. as a character yeah. in his own way. And then by the time you bring uh, Blythe Duff in, you know, because I think she sort of started out in a, a, very much in a bit part as this kind of WPC and yes, not to have. When you have maybe like a wee line or two per episode or whatever, and they've gradually fleshed the character out, made her a detective and everything. Yeah, I think I, I read over the course of her years in Taggart, she got promoted three times right. in terms of the yeah. like her character. Yeah, yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. I like the yeah. I, I read that on. James McPherson's first day not filming Nest of Vipers but on his first kind of day um, you know after they'd finished filming he was away to go and get the bus home and Mark McManus turned to him and said you're in Taggart now son get a taxi (laughs) Um, which (laughs) it's just a (laughs) so you can't be getting the bus son that's no that's no use you can't be doing that I, I, I did quite a bit of research into Mark McManus for this like I think more so than I did for Killer and his life is actually was actually really interesting because he's, he's famously born in Hamilton in 1935, mm. but then they, his family moved to London when he was three, and then they moved to Australia when he was 16, mm-hmm. and that's where he began yeah. acting. He didn't come back to the UK until 1971, and he was in a couple of things. He's in. I watched a bit of it, uh, an old drama called Sam, which is set in Yorkshire during the depression of the 1930s, and he plays a Yorkshire unemployed coal miner. And his Yorkshire mm. accent is fucking really good, by the way. Like, really, really good. Because he used to get pelted a bit, Mark McManus, for his act. And I always remember there was... Everybody liked him, but there was a bit of... You know, there was a sort of acceptance that he wasn't, like, the greatest actor. But he was really good in that. And then I watched him in this... Uh, the Strangers, which was this uh, uh, police procedural show set in Manchester where he plays a Scottish, doer Scottish detective called Jack Lambie. And I'll, I'll send you the... It's, I mean, it's basically Taggart, <laughs> basically, but a bit younger. <laughs> um, but what resonated with me a bit... Oh, b- before that, uh, Gerald Kelly, I saw him talking about Taggart and he was about Marmy mm. Manus specifically and he was talking about how Marmy Manus had been really good to him on Killer because he was one of his first acting roles and things. And he said, I really felt like Mark, as a quite an experienced actor by then, took me under his wing. He said, he was telling me a story where he was felt, he was he had a guest spot on Skippy the Bush Kangaroo, and the famous Australian yes. thing. And he said he was in a car, and there's like with like, one of the drivers, and there's a bag like twitching and moving. And every now and again, the driver we go and get some water and pour it over the bag. He said, and eventually, he said, Mark asked him, um, what, what, what is that in the bag, mate? And he said, oh, it's Skippy. And he said, fucking hell. He said, man, he said, well, if that's how they treat the star, I mean, what are they going to do to me? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but um, when this is actually a bit sad, because when 
during this run of Tiger, sort of 1992, 1993, like Murray Mann has famously passed away in 1994. But before that, he mm. was going through like a really, really tough time. So f- famously, he was a kind of a functioning alcoholic. And his mm. mother, he had just lost his mother in 1992. And then a sister in Australia passed away, a younger sister. And then his wife, uh, about a year before Mark McManus died himself, his wife uh, died of terminal cancer. So all, but all, the, mm. all during that time, he was still shooting Tiger. Yeah. And um, one of the documentaries I was watching for this, like James McPherson was saying, you know, the camera could, re- you can really see the sadness in his eyes, you know, when yeah. he's when he when he when he was filming, and and the fact that he would sometimes get get pelted a bit for his acting, like you, the camera could see these little cues and these little sort of asides and things that you wouldn't necessarily see if you were acting alongside them. You know, like how he would react mm. to stuff in the script, you know, and other people's performances and things. It's actually a really nuanced performance. But I, why, what mm. I was thinking was, for somebody who didn't come back to the UK until he was, he was in his mid-30s, his parents must mm. have had the strongest fucking Ouija accents. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that as well, as you're explaining his background. And I'm yeah. like, he left when he was, what, three? And then they left yeah. Australia at 16? Yeah, they really must have been strong to impart that into him yeah, yeah or they hung out with a lot of glasgow expats in australia maybe maybe but yeah because his, his glasgow accent well it's his accent which yeah. is <laughs> I, absolutely spot on yeah yeah i mean i think everyone kind of has a good story about mark mcmanus and you know they, they like him and i think he was a uh, he was well respected mm-hmm. in terms of an actor i did read that Dougray Scott, uh, I read an interview with him about this episode and about his time on Tagger, and he said that he saw himself as a bit of a method actor when mm. he was younger, and he stayed up all night to mimic that last scene where he's it comes out of the jail cell. He said, Jenny, I stayed up all night, so I looked like shit because I thought mm. Colin would look like shit. Yeah. So when Mark saw him and he said, uh, Jesus, you're looking like crap, and he says, well, stayed up all night, you know, I'm a method actor. And Mark says, oh, okay. Well, if you're that method, how about I punch you for real? Because it'll look good for the cameras. So Dugray's like, hi, okay, yeah, yeah. He said, I didn't realise that Mark McManus used to be an amateur boxer. And he says, he says, he fucking floored me with that punch. <laughs> he really caught me. It's a, backhand, it's, a, it's a backhander as well, isn't it? It gives him. Yeah. <laughs> So I thought that was great, just <laughs> Mark obviously helping him out. Well, if you're a method actor, how about punch you for real? Yeah, um, yeah. I the, think brilliant actor. And, yeah. the, 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 there's a line that, is, and it's not in this one, I can't remember which episode it's in, but it's it's a conversation between him and Livingston. And it's and I, I, I wonder to myself, is, was this in the script or is this McManus just... Uh, sort of riffing, but uh, sort of riffing, but they, the, the Livingston appears in uh, the, the scene of some crime, and McManus, or rather Taggart, says to him, oh, "Do you smell like a bloody brewery?" And Livingston looks like shit, and he says, "I wasn't." Mm. He says, "It wasn't beer. I wasn't drinking beer. I was drinking the cures all night." And Taggart goes, "The cures? Are you sure it's a boys' school you went to?" <laughs> 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 so they find these skulls, of course, and, and Taggart. Instantly thinks back that, that it's this mm. woman or this girl that's been missing, and in fact, her mum, um, Annie, gets in touch with Tagger Annie Gilmore. You know, and he says, "Oh, when when he hears that she's been in touch, oh yeah, I thought she would." It is the... now we saw this in Killer Tagger getting a bit too close to the the female, yeah. And I haven't watched enough episodes myself again to see if this is a regular thing. 
because he does seem quite close to Annie Gilmore, but I don't think there's a like any romantic kind of relationship there. I think he genuinely feels for her because obviously Taggart's got a daughter. And well, that's it. Yeah, I think he he feels that connection and he wants. He wants closure because even when I think is it Jardine when he says you know hopefully hopefully it's not her mm. and Taggart's like well I hope it is because it will give closure yeah, yeah and I think that shows that yeah he does just maybe want to it, that's the reason for the closeness but it, it just seemed a little bit inappropriate in a way to me. Just got Doctor Andrews's preliminary report on the two skeletons. Yeah, they do fit the skulls. One would give an overall living stature of between five foot five and five foot six, and the other between five foot four and five foot five. Janet Gilmore was five foot five. So did a lot of females, sir. Soil samples have gone off, so with any luck, we should find out how long they've been in the ground. So while we wait for the scientists, Annie Gilmore waits and hopes. Mm, hopes that it isn't. Hopes it is. She wants an end to wondering. I can't see a blame. Yeah, I mean, I thought that to begin with, I thought, you know, why is he taking such an interest here? And then as the as that part of the story sort of unfolded, it kind of made more sense to me because it seemed like Annie's daughter would probably be around the same sort of age as, as Taggart's daughter. And, mm. you know, and there's that whole sort of police thing of always wanting to resolve things and tie things up. And because mm. and, I, I did think that too, you know, especially, you know, when he... When he sort of sacks off the when he sacks off the burn supper with the disabled piper, I mean his whole reaction mm. to that, you know, will there be <laughs> the disabled piper? They sort of <laughs> that face he does, <laughs> you know, um, it's just he's like so politically incorrect. But I mean, it was a, it was a different time, you know. It never felt like he was mocking the disabled. It was it was more just a no. Well, whatever next kind of you know sort of thing because his wife yeah. G, his wife Jean isn't. In this one, that much really. She only got a couple of a couple of scenes, doesn't she? Yeah, she's only in those two scenes. One when she tells him about the disabled piper, mm. and the other one, I think, when when she's when she's watching the haggis address and all that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. Yeah, she's only in yeah. two scenes. Yeah. So no, I mean, it's there's a real tragedy about that sort of channel of the story, like Annie Gilmore, and you know, she, you know, she's she's her daughter's been gone missing. She's lost her husband. We so kind of find out in between the daughter going missing and when by the time we catch up with them, and you know, they how that how that all resolves with her. You know, she's so over the moon about when they manage to identify that yeah, it's her missing daughter, mm-hmm. and she gets you know the guy's able to make a sort of bust of her daughter's likeness and everything and then she realizes that that's all she was really living for was the search for yeah. her daughter and when you know when she sort of discovers when when the when the mystery is resolved she's got nothing else to live for and it's, it's really sad i thought that you know really mm-hmm. really sad and i thought mcmanus is brilliant in that scene where he finds her sitting next to her yeah. dressing table and he reads the note and he's you know he's it's a really he's really emotional and you don't we don't really see him mm. emotional like we see him angry and we see him sarcastic yeah. and and you know we see him with a bit of a twinkle in his eye um but there's not many episodes of tiger where you see that kind of vulnerability and he's there's there's, there's tears mm. in his eyes like mcmanus is going yeah. for it in that scene you know and it is and it, just, it kind of brings it all home a lot more you know no it's a beautiful scene um and it is heartbreaking when he discovers her and yeah then yeah. he reads the notes and you just think, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think he, he takes it out on Colin so much as well. Yeah. In terms of the, 
the emotion at um at what's happened to to mm-hmm. Rani. So yeah, a very good um because very I, good scene. Because I always thought like that last moment in Killer, and obviously when they, when they made Killer, they didn't know that Taggart was going to become Taggart. They thought they were just making a a kind of TV film. But when they catch mm. the guy and Taggart like flips out and attacks him in the mm. river and he has to get pulled off him and the sort of last shot is him sort of breathing deeply looking wide-eyed and everything i always thought it seemed a bit out of kilter with the rest of his performance in killer you know like he just suddenly mm-hmm. goes mental at this murderer yeah um but with with this they you know maybe it's just the writing's better in nest of vipers or you know mcmanus is more comfortable with the character of taggart by that point he'd been doing it for like seven eight years by then you know when you do see that unusually different side to his character that we don't really see at other times it feels a lot more genuine than mm. what, what than when he kind of cracks up at the end of killer and then when he because he, he essentially does almost the same thing again at the end of this one when he turns and gives uh, call in the backhander you know he's mm. he, he loses control but he only loses control for a yeah. set for a second just long enough to yeah. knock, to knock the guy down and and sort of walk away from it it's a really really good performance I mean, as well what they do so well in tiger and they always did and, and they do it great in killer and I say they did, did it great in this episode is the number of red herrings that they put in oh and yeah you know watching it you're never quite sure because you're like well is it the guy's assistant because he's quite dodgy yeah and then what's what's the headhunter got she's got something to do with it sure yeah, yeah. and I, I did love that scene where Dr. Nielsen he's going in for this important meeting to meet a headhunter in this hotel <laughs> and she says would you like a drink and he says I'll have a pint of heavy <laughs> and <laughs> so, Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Knock yourself out, lad. Fair play. Um, Yeah, you have obviously all this stuff going on in Casco, and you know, was Mm. was um, is the wife involved somehow? And then you know, there's other red herrings. But yeah, it's then you kind of think, okay, it's bound to be Colin. But then there's the other snake guy as well. Yeah, he's fucking dodgy, and he's got a scar on his face, so it must be something there as well. But yeah, it's it's kind of beautifully done that they always did that in Taggart. That it's just so many red herrings that keep you guessing so when it comes to the big reveal you are like ah yeah but I mean, and that's something that they did effectively what, what what i think they're great at is like every is you know tiger i guess is a sort of it's a kind of formulaic show but as much as they they often have quite gruesome murders and you know some of the sort of this is, I guess, it's quite a sort of high concept uh, episodes or series of episodes of it. It always feels like they're having a bit of fun as well with mm. the, with the audience. It's sort of almost like a, it's sort of like the kind of Agatha Christie formula, you know, with like a sort of company of characters. You know, one or two of them get mm. killed off. You know, there's different reasons to suspect the other ones, and part of the fun as a viewer is try to work it out. Do you know what I mean? It's and then yeah. you know, and 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 if you do work it out, and you're the only one, the feeling of gratification <laughs> when, <laughs> when the reveal comes out. I mean, how, how many people have turned to their husband, their wife, or whatever, and said, "I told you it was him. I <laughs> fucking told you it was him in episode two. I knew it. I knew it." <laughs> and they all, all the while, Glenn Shander must just have been sitting at his. Typewriter or his computer thinking, right? What's the most creative way I can kill somebody off for this episode? You know, <laughs> I have a couple of questions though about the the murders and the the kind of 
well, the skulls as well, because they mm. find these two skulls and the the teeth and lower jaw have been removed. Yeah. And just so happens they've also found these Roman skulls. And this professor is recreating the faces of these, but the two skulls get stolen from the university. Obviously, it's Colin that steals them, but he's stolen the wrong skulls. Mm. But if he's committed the murders, because the Roman skulls had the jaws intact, didn't yeah, they? yeah, he's so fucked, he would, he's fucked it. <laughs> he, would, he would surely know when he got the skulls that oh fuck, it's the wrong skulls. I mean, obviously he realizes because he leaves them in a, a bin. Yeah, but surely he would have checked that before. But I guess he just grabbed the box that said mm. Strathclyde Police on it because yeah. as the kind of doctor's assistant says, he must have put the skulls in the wrong box. But surely you would just double check. Before you've uh, before you've taken well, you would think so, but you know, heat of the moment might only have a small window of opportunity to make goodies escape. Don't know. The other thing I have, okay, I can understand. He's like, right, I fucked it with skulls. Okay, I'll have to kill this professor so he doesn't reconstruct the face of the victims. Fine. So does that in a wonderful way by sending him a spider in a box. Right. And that's particularly quite gruesome. As soon as he yeah. thinks he's nicked his finger on a staple, you're yeah. like, "Oh, really? Surely you've just oh, seen the spider, but maybe, maybe not." You know, yeah. um, you know, something's coming. But why does he then bump off like Douglas and Christine? Because he seemed to be mates. He was mates with Douglas, like Doctor Nielsen. He was, you know, pally with him. Christine seemed to think he was okay. Okay, she didn't want to go back to his for his famous spaghetti bolognese, but. I can understand they wanted the professor dead, but was he just trying to get rid of anyone linked with Casco? Because, but the, the police already knew that he worked at Casco. So I don't quite understand his motives for trying to get rid of all those people. I thought, I mean, I sort of took it as that he'd just gone a bit loopy and he just wanted to, oh, maybe. He just wanted to kill people, you know, because like, with the, the scene at the end when he, when he meets the, the young artist at the zoo and mm. she, she comes back for the old uh, famous... Well, turns out they poison spag ball. Do you know what I mean? He's so he's just just wants to kill it. She, he's, she's done nothing to him at all. He just wants to yeah, kill her. True. You know? yeah, yeah, good point. Actually, yeah, yeah, that must be it. I just wondered what the the kind of um, the motive was for that. Because surely, if he just laid low, it would have been fine. Um, yeah. But as it turns out, yeah, it was. Yeah, maybe he just had gone a little bit mental. To your point there, if. He hadn't killed anybody else apart from the the two, the girl from New Zealand and uh, Annie's daughter. He might not have got found out anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, potentially not. Mm. I don't know. But then, if if they'd identified the girl from New Mary Zealand, Mary Hume, yeah, yeah. If if the police had spoken to Dennis about it, then uh, you know when he wins his sheriff's badge, then <laughs> they would have made the link there. But then I yeah. guess they couldn't. You know, how would they actually prove it? But as it turns out, they didn't have to prove. It because they found Colin with Madeline in the cellar, so it's um, yeah, he's so, kind of done in. Um, so, so here's here's a question for you: What is that other researcher's fucking problem with Derek? He's just making cups of tea. Do you know what I mean for people? And what's his fucking issue? Yeah, Dennis. Yeah, uh, he's just a knob. Obviously, he's just an absolute knob, and seems to. I think probably not like Dennis because Dennis has maybe, you know, got some learning difficulties and he just seems to, he's just bullying him. He's just mm. been a fucking dick. Yeah. You know, but a poor lad. I know. Every- Shocking. But everyone else is obviously nice to him because yeah. Dennis says that Dr. Nielsen used to let him in to, you know, look at the snakes and stuff. So yeah, everyone yeah. else obviously treats him well. But yeah, that guy's a total prick. Yeah. I think if I was Dennis, I'd be spilling a fucking cup of tetley on his boss when he's desk. <laughs> I'm sure he gets his cup of tetley spat in on a regular basis anyway, so I'm sure it's all fine. He gets away with that there. Uh, Have you ever seen a guy die of a heart attack after being bitten by a harmless gopher? (laughs) 
<laughs> no. That's a, what, what a great line. What a, what a wonderful line. Yeah. I think that's obviously to explain in terms of why Dr. Nielsen had died so quickly, because he'd, I mean, he had been bitten four or five times, but they do explain that he'd, he'd died of a heart attack, obviously, because yeah. I would think you would get quite a shock if you like had a snake in, the in bed. your bed, yeah. and then it bit you like five times. That's going to be a bit of a, a shocker. Yeah. Have you, ever, have you ever been bitten by... A creature? Um, probably. I mean, I've been bitten by a spider. I'm sure. Have you? Um, yeah, I'm sure I have. Yeah, I'm where? Sure I've had like a at nothing home? like not like a radioactive spider or anything. <laughs> or um, no, but you probably just seem like oh, must be a little spider bite. Um, no, I don't think so. I've never really been bitten by anything. I've got a scar on my finger where I was bitten by a dog as a baby in my pram. Like a, maybe not quite a baby, hmm. but like a sort of little toddler type. And I got bitten by a horse once. <laughs> I was trying to give it a huh. a sugar cube off uh, the palm of my hands, but I didn't make my hand flat enough. And it, so it didn't bite me on purpose. It was a it was an accidental bite. Yeah, and um, yeah, accidental brushing of teeth against your uh, no, no, your it, skin, it broke the it broke the skin. <laughs> that oh, was, I was I was absolutely up to high dough. <laughs> <That was>, oh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it was sore. Fair enough. All right, fair <laughs> enough. I'll, I'll see. So there's a there's a few actors in this that. Uh, um, classic Doctor Who fans would be get very excited about if we had a classic Doctor Who mm. fan co-hosting on the podcast with us. So the, the guy who plays uh, Professor Hutton, uh, the aforementioned, um, the guy who was dispatched by the spider bite, he played a character in the very, very first ever Doctor Who programme back in 1963. Um, wow. The guy that was given Dennis Pelters is also in Doctor Who he was in a couple of times. And also mm-hmm. the boss of the chemical company whose name I've completely forgotten He's also been in Doctor Who a couple of times as well. So there you go. And, I mean, that's classic Doctor Who, but then mm. you have Michelle Gomez as well. Well, who, that's right. A new Doctor Who. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, 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 yeah. And I'm sure Caslow's been in Doctor Who as well at some point. Yeah, but, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah she must have been. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, yeah, quite a few familiar faces in this as well, just in general, because obviously Michelle Gomez and then the wonderful Simone Labib as well pops but, up. Yeah, in, uh, I didn't spot her. One of her first gigs. You didn't spot Simone Labib? No, we spoke about this last week. I couldn't. I didn't spot her. I thought she might have been the secretary uh, at the chemical company. Cheers. Yeah, right. Yeah, it does. It, it, it's, yeah, I had to rewind it and double check. And I'm like, wow. Like, oh, I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very young... Um, Simone, but yes, it doesn't look like a. But you really focus, it does. You can yeah. see the, so, uh, the look there. So yeah, late eighties, early nineties, like knockout. Yeah. There. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yes, oh yes. Um, so yeah, it was good to see. And you know, it's Taggart, as we just explained earlier. You know, there's always people popping up um, mm-hmm. in in every episode in terms of random um, random roles. It was lovely to see uh, Robert Robertson. As Doctor Andrews, yeah, again, though, you know, Brilliant. miss him. He's just great quality, and he just fits in with the the kind of core three, mm-hmm. I think, and definitely in terms of um, of that. And it's he's yeah, he's a wonderful uh, part of the cast. And then of course uh, Ian Anders is uh, the biscuit as well. <laughs> always good quality. <laughs> you know, they're not in it for much, but it's always great to see them. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's just the fact that the the fact that Chandler's gone to the trouble of putting that nickname in. Just shows how well how well he knows his subject matter because it's like in the first episode with the mint, you know, like yeah. the, the, the detective chief inspector Murray, they call him the mint, <laughs> you know, and then uh, Ian Anderson is McVitie, and that would that's exactly what would what would happen, I think, in yeah. a sort of in a Scottish workplace, whether it's the police or anywhere else, you know. Oh, of course, yeah, it has to be the yeah to link to. Well, that was the, I, I've told that story. I haven't told it on the Swally before. I have mentioned that. Like we had a janitor at our school that looked like Tagger. 
Oh, right, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> We call them Taggart. But yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, the other... I was on an episode of Off the Ball one day and they asked if anyone had nicknames for their janitors. And somebody phoned in and said that the janitor at their school was five foot two, so they called him Johnny DeVito. And that's, 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 just, uh, that's absolutely wonderful nickname. Um, if you were talking to a police officer and you're at a party and stuff, would you be describing the perfect murder to them? Like, you're obviously kind of linked to an investigation because they've been to Sea Colin, so they're linked. They they have linked it there, and he's at this party. You're not going to be chatting up Blythe Duff, Jackie Reed, and saying, oh, I know how to commit the perfect murder. You inject cobra venom into somebody's belly button. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like, wait a minute. No, come on. How stupid are you? Tell the perfect murder, okay? You're a policeman, you might come across it one day, who knows? Tell me, I'm intrigued. Well, what you do is you, uh, you take a hypodermic full of cobra venom and you inject it into someone's belly button. Apparently cobra venom's impossible to detect, unless you're actually looking for it. And the last place you're going to find a puncture mark is in the belly button. So how do you get your victim to lie still while you do it? I will. That's the difficult part. So where did you learn this? Dr Nielsen. I worked at Casper's for two years. I find out a lot of things. I think about take him home. Do you ever get the feeling that people are too ready to talk to us? Only too well. By the way, I do a great spag ball. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. I thought the the realism though of um, Douglas coming home pished and getting undressed, just climbing into bed, was <laughs> was very accurately done. Yeah. We've all been there. We've all done that type yeah. of thing. <laughs> yeah, like, I know, he's he, he's sort of keen to crack on, isn't he? He's trying to get uh, trying to get Colin and Christine in to keep the party going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's wanting to have a nightcap and get yeah keep going but yeah but Dude, obviously they're not interested let me ask you something about nielsen right his wife hmm. is a fucking nightmare you know if yeah. i was married to somebody like that and i got offered a great job in liverpool and shit i don't want to come i think i would be like okay then <laughs> see you later yeah because <laughs> like obviously he knows she's having an affair and stuff yeah. or, or he, he kind of doesn't want to admit it. Yeah. Like he's, as he speaks to Colin it's kind of like he knows but he doesn't want to admit it to himself but you're right she's an absolute cow mm. and she's obviously always going out to meet clients but yeah. obviously shagging his boss Yeah. and yeah I'd be the same I'd be like oh, fuck that I'm away to Liverpool I'm away to go have a pint of heavy with that headhunter yeah. and see if she's wanting to um, go down to <laughs> Liverpool and have yeah. a nice weekend if, she wants to, if she's going to let me take her up the Mersey <laughs> For, for fuck's sake! <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just it's, it's weird, and that you know she's like, oh yeah, I. I I, I, I can't go out tonight. I'm doing my. I've got to do my clients' accounts. At, you know, like at nine o'clock mm. in the evening. Like, what the fuck have you been doing all day? <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so uh, we have um, the first two people. Oh well, three. Um, you have got Christine, Doctor Nielsen, and of course the um, the, the the professor. Um, yeah. And then the artist. all die. Yeah. Um, it all well. The first three had all died because of a spider or a snake bite. Mm-hmm. And they've obviously, with every one, they've rushed to get them the anti-venom. Yeah. But it hasn't, hasn't worked. And it's Taggart that works out that somebody's switched around the anti-venoms. Because yeah. they're obviously all linked to each individual yeah. spider or, or snake. Type of poison. Somebody's been playing 
silly buggers and fucking them around, which mm. has then effectively been giving the people, the victims, like an allergic reaction, and they've died as a result. Yeah. And I did think when the um, the artist, um, I can't remember the character's name, so I don't know. If they, when he he's in a hospital, he's been given antivenom, and then the doctor's kind of attending to him. And the machine starts beeping and then just flatlines. And the doctor's like, oh, well, he's fucked. <laughs> you know, he doesn't make any attempt to resuscitate him. He just literally takes off his oxygen mask. And he's like, oh, well, never mind. Yeah. Right. Nurse, can you change the sheets? Let's <laughs> get rid of his body. Just no effort at all. Doesn't, like, rush or call anyone in. But I did find that a little bit jarring. Yeah, I suspect the act of playing the doctor was probably on a day rate. They were not really invested. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he probably he, he probably had a shift at the tunnel that night to get to after filming. You know? It's like fucking hell. These days are killing me. Fucking ten hours on Tiger and then eight hours in the tunnel. <laughs> well, what, what I was going to ask you about, and you know, in a nice way, Jackie Reed. Something there's no, but there's I'm not I'm not going to be crude here, right? But there's something about Blythe Duff, the ache, the way that she sort of just she's got this sort of elven look to her. You know what hmm. I mean? Um, I was watching because so Tiger famously is the longest run or was the longest running police drama in the UK alongside one other program that I know you're also a fan of. What the Bill? Exactly. So hmm. there's an there was an actress on that Tiger documentary. Uh, she used to be in EastEnders before she was in the bill. I can't remember her name. She was in EastEnders for years and then in like the mid-90s and then she went to the bill after that. And she's talking about... I think I know yeah. who you mean. Older woman, short, dark hair. That, exactly. She plays like a sort of senior officer in the bill. I yeah, think. yeah. It's like Roberta something. I know exactly who you mean. Yeah. yeah. So she was talking about Blythe Duff. And she was saying, you know, she's got a, she's got a sort of... An, there's a kind of intensity about her, but she can. She, she says, you know, like for me, she says, my for the way I act, I'm either shouting or I'm quiet or you know or I'm pissed or I'm sober or whatever. She said, but there's something about the way that Blythe Duff plays Jackie Reed, um, because she's working with these two male characters, one of which in Tiger, like quite an alpha, old-fashioned mm-hmm. guy. You know, Jardine's a bit more, I guess, I guess a bit more sensitive and things. Um, but she really manages them. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and she's not even, yeah. she, she's not even phased by, you know, uh, Tiger losing his patience or, or being a bit short mm. with the rest of them or whatever. But she's got a really like, evocative range of expressions. You know, the way she'll, yeah. sort of, she'll kind of roll her eyes or, you know, when she's talking to Colin at the party, you sort of get the impression that she's maybe for a moment, maybe before he starts talking about committing the perfect murder, uh, she may think for a moment he's actually quite a good looking guy this Colin and you know obviously didn't say anything but it's just a very there's a real subtlety about her you know and she's she's really, she's great in it and I I sort of regret a little bit not really watching Tiger that much after uh, James McPherson came out of it I didn't really watch it much with Alex Norton no, and John Mickey and, and you know and I, I, I wonder how she might have felt about that because you know they you can see McPherson sort of becomes I guess the kind of star of the show after Mark McMahon has died and it kind of mm-hmm. feels fair enough you know the sort of hierarchy there but then you sort of like famously, they 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 kill Jardine's character off like much yeah. much later, and you know, this think well, maybe there's an opportunity there for uh, Di Reed to become the central mm. character, but yet yeah, they they bring in John Mickey and they bring in uh, Alex Norton. Oh yeah, and it's you know, I wonder if she thought, well, it's a bit shit. 
you know, I'm still sort yeah, of maybe. playing second fiddle to a guy, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, mm. sexism in the police force. Yeah, but that was well, when she was not, you know, back in 2008. You yeah. know, you think you would have got a little bit more. Yeah, that's a very good point because she had been around the longest, but mm. don't know. But yeah, I agree. Um, Blythe Duff's yeah performance is it's beautifully kind of it's it's almost like understated, but it's mm. as you say, she's got a quiet kind of tone about her, but the facial expressions, and she's got some great bits as you see the party with Colin. Mm. I I think. A great bit she has is when she's at the hotel and she's knocking on the wife's door and then yeah. takes the, the, the do not disturb sign yeah. when the chambermaid's like, I'm just waiting for somebody and then just barges in. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, that's a great scene. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's you know, it's almost comedic in terms of the, the acting. So it does show the range that she's got there. But yeah, mm. she's a, a really good performance, I yeah. think, from... Stuff, I, just, I, I just think she's got she's got a really kind of unique look about her as well. I can't really think of anybody that she looks like, you know? No. So I think we spoke about this when we did Killer. So occasionally you'll read on a website or in the paper or something that they're trying to do a sort of young Taggart drama show. Mm. Kind of comes and goes where they, I guess it would be set in the maybe the 50s and the, maybe the 50s and 60s in Glasgow and show the character of Taggart sort of, I guess, working his way up through the the ranks of the police to detective. In the right hands, that could be absolutely fucking brilliant, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I agree, I agree. I mean, obviously, if it's like 1950s, then I'm kind of out. But because um, I don't like anything pre that time. But if you could set it in the sixties or something, then yeah, I'll I'll watch that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so even for Taggart, you wouldn't. Uh, you wouldn't. No, I would watch something with a, a young Taggart in it. Yeah, of course I would. Um, definitely, I think that would be a, a great show, actually. Mm. So what are you you thinking? If, if who's going to well, play? Well, the this is, yeah, this is what I was going to ask you. You know, so a dream cast list. So say the, the, the characters are going to be Taggart. I guess you might have mm. maybe Jardine's dad. Maybe you know. I, I think they're supposed to have been colleagues together at some point. Maybe you'd have like the young, the mint, maybe as well, or 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 McVitie, or both perhaps. Like Taggart's dad, and maybe he's got like a brother who's a bit try, who sort of tries to lead him astray, and you know, Taggart's sort of torn between the loyalty of looking out for his brother, but also being a good policeman. Then you could have like sort of. You know, Glasgow at the time, sort of razor gangs and, you know, the sort of Bible John era and stuff, dance halls, the Barrowlands and things. It'd be fucking, it'd be fucking brilliant in the right hands. But then, so how old would Taggart be? So say, let, let's say in Killer, which is a contemporary at the time, so 1983. So say... Taggart's and he's kind of late 40s then say he's sort of knocking on 50 in 1983 okay. so that would mean that he would have been born in the 30s so I guess if you're going to show him as a young man it would have to be the kind of 1950s and he's sort of early 20s I suppose to begin with you know so early 20s yeah. we're looking at like yeah. in terms of you see and that's that's about our wheelhouse isn't it really because in terms of Scottish actors we're looking at people that are maybe a little bit older mostly mm. on the show um, well, you could, you so could have Jack Loudon might play a character in it. Maybe not as Taggart, um, but he's, yeah. a, he's a good young actor. But he's what he's in his there. He's in his early thirties, but he looks sort of young. So you know, he could play younger. I'm sure, play a bit, a, a bit younger. Um, who else? Who else? I mean, I, I feel Kevin like Guthrie. Kevin. <laughs> yeah, Guthrie can be the nonce that gets arrested and fucking. <laughs> 
beaten to death in the Barrel in the first episode of the first series. Um, but you might maybe, um, I mean, you could put Martin Compson in there. I'm not sure who he would play. Maybe he would play a, bit yeah. a, more, a slightly more senior officer, perhaps. Um, yeah, he would have to. I mean, he, he, he you know something? He, well, would he pass as Jardine's dad? I don't know. That's going to be maybe... He's somebody with a bit of, a bit of, a, a bit more fair-haired, right? What about um, Lewis Gribben for yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jardine's dad? Yeah. He'd be good, That'd yeah. Be, he's a bit, he's a blonder, a bit mm-hmm. taller. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll take him as Jardine's dad. Tagger, I don't know though. Who? Maybe it's a it's an unknown that kind of plucked out of drama school or something that maybe because because you know if you're going to cast somebody as a kind of iconic character, it's difficult if that person has got like a bit of a resume of characters under their belt. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and they're then, always they're always going to be compared, and you kind of feel them, like yeah. they're doing an impression of Mark McManus, perhaps. Whereas if it's like an unknown actor, um, that's, that may be better. Fucking yeah. hell! I mean, I'd, why why are STV and ITV not fucking beating a path to our doors? <laughs> the ideas that yeah, we have on this a, podcast, but it's a. I mean, that's an expensive. Pre- Production in terms of if you're making a period piece of something like that, you know, yeah. that's that's going to cost a lot of money. Whereas if you set something in Glasgow now, it's going to be a lot cheaper. A bit cheaper. Um, I, but yeah, I, I just redo Taggart then. That would be the mm. the ideal thing, you know? Give it to Mark Bonner as Taggart. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Take Maybe, it away. Rab yeah. Affleck as Jardine. Rab Affleck um, so, Rab Affleck's. <laughs> Check, he passed away, is he not? Rather like, <laughs> it's just a joke. <laughs> Cosmo's the biscuit, and you're sorted. Away you go. Yeah. Just get an all star cast. Then Guthrie can still play the nonce. <laughs> yeah, might hurt his appeal uh, playing a nonce. You know? <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah, that's possibly true. Yeah. Okay, then. So, shall we put Nest of Vipers through our Swally Awards? Uh, yes, let's do it. What have we got first on the awards this week, Greg? Uh, well, as always, uh, the Bobby the Barman Award for the best pub. Well, it's only the pub that they go into, really, isn't it? Um, they're in that a couple of times. It's the same yeah. pub, isn't it? Uh, you've got the engagement party as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, the pub they're in, yeah, yeah definitely. Well, they, love to go in that they pub. Not, is, are they not in the Renfrew Ferry for the party that Colin goes to uh, where he's describing yes. a peasant murder? The, that's true, yeah. The Renfrew Ferry was not a very nice venue. So yeah, I mean, for me, it's definitely the the bar, the, the kind of police bar that they go to all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Next one, then the James Cosmo Award uh, for being in everything Scottish. Who did you go for for this? I went with I went with Cadzo. Yeah, she, yeah, definitely. She's in. She's in everything. Tons of stuff, and she yeah, untold yeah. amount of things. Yeah, she's in absolutely loads. Um, she's quite high up in the swally tally, I think, and there's yeah, yeah. Up a bit, yeah. bit as well. But yeah, she just pops up in absolutely everything. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's without a doubt, it's mm-hmm. her. Yeah. Uh, the next one, then the Jake McQuillan Yartizu Award. I mean, it's Taggart smacking Colin at the end. Taggart really? with That's... a backhander catching yeah. him. With- Catching him in the cheek with his Masonic ring. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely because there's not really much. I mean, okay, a lot of people die, but it's all the hands of snakes and spiders. There's not really much violence in this. No. Next one, then the Hugh McGregor Award for gratuitous nudity. I there was nothing, was there? I mean, you don't see anything when Nielsen's getting into his bed. Just his hairy back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Could have done without seeing, to be quite honest. Um, okay, uh, moving swiftly on. So you know, it's Tiger in the nineties. 
Series, ITV, Primetime, not a great deal of effing and jeffing, but the uh, yeah. Francis Begbie Award for Gratuitous Swearing. Well, the only one I really caught is when Douglas's wife shouts to Derek. She shouts, you bastard. Yeah. And that's... That was it. I, I didn't notice anything else in no. terms of swearing. It's a different time. They like, should be should be yeah. should be if it was made now, should be screaming all the cunts under the sun at a message over way, but uh <laughs> Yeah it was true. a it was a much more gentle time back in the early nineties. <laughs> So I'm interested to know what you went for here because I, in all honesty, I struggled with this one. The archetypal Scottish moment. You struggled. It's a fucking burn supper. Oh fuck and me! Of course, yeah. You struggled. Like there's two <laughs> burn suppers technically because yeah. Jean's having one at the house with a disabled piper, and then there's a massive one and address yeah. the haggis and rabby burns. Like That's really. Cool. Yeah, you struggled. Yeah, actually, in in retrospect, retrospect, uh, Robbie Robertson just drinking drams for the full meal. <laughs> Sunday. Yeah, not not even a couple of beers to wet his whistle or a glass of wine, just straight on the drams. No ice, no yeah. water. Yeah, it's um, it's either that or ordering a pint of heavy when you go for a job interview. Well, it could be it it could be his prescription when uh, Professor Hutton says not feeling very well of just having a couple of drams. Something quite Scottish for that, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, don't feel very well today. Get a couple, get a couple of nippy sweeties done. You, that will sort you right out. <laughs> okay, then the, the last one. Then the big Tam award. Who who won it for you? I mean, I went with Mark McManus just purely because it's Taggart. Um, he's not he's not in it a huge amount though. No, really. no, it's not. Like it does focus on others, but I I it has to be kind of Mark McManus. I mean, I, yeah. What did you go for? Well, I was going to go with. Dougie Scott, because I thought I thought, yeah. con- considering that it's an early gig for him and everything else, I thought it was really good. He's really fucking creepy, especially in the last sort of fifteen ten minutes or so of the show when he's got the artist back at his house and he's rubbing the frog poison on the spoons and stuff. I thought it was really good, but I had to give it to McManus. If, if for no other reason than the scene that I was talking about earlier where he finds Annie's ah, body in the suicide yeah. note, I just thought he was absolutely phenomenal. So I gave it to him as well. Yeah, uh, fair enough. No, yeah, you're right. I agree with you on that. And you're right. Um, Degray Scott does deliver a really good performance. And he is, you're right, actually. The range of emotions he kind of goes through throughout the show because he's quite cagey when he's speaking to the police but then friendly yeah and then he's obviously really friendly when he's speaking to to dr nielsen um and then of course at the end he is just fucking uber creepy so you're right mm. and at the party he's quite sociable when he's, he's flirting with jackie trying to tell her the best way to commit a murder but yeah you're right mcmanus for that scene it has to i would say it has to be definitely I, mean, I, I did kind of feel with the character of colin so when you think when when this was first uh broadcast um silence of the lambs had just won fucking oscars and everything really successful movie and you've got two mm. sort of prolific serial killers in it you've got hanwell Lecter and you've got buffalo bill um mm. And it felt a wee bit like Chander might have been thinking a little bit about, you know, with the character of Colin. If not for mm-hmm. any other reason than the last few scenes that he has before yeah. the police come and arrest him. It's, you know, was, was he maybe thinking, we'll make the killer in this one a wee bit more original and outlandish and it's not it's difficult to know really what he wants, you know, because like with, yeah. like with, with Buffalo Bill, he wants to make a lady suit, but with... with <laughs> With Hannibal Lecter, it's not, he doesn't really want anything. He just wants to fucking, he wants to sort of psychologically dismantle and then murder people when they eat a bit of them. Um, yeah. And, you know, and obviously you can never really put a character like that in a show like Tiger because it sort of, it's 
power is in that it's a bit closer to real life. Um, yeah, you know, of course. It's still a police drama. Um, but just, you know, but the character of Colin, there's a serial killer and things, and it's not you know, really clear why he's doing what he's doing. It's, you know, he's it's, it's just got a screw loose or whatever, and he lives in this big house, and he's got all these weird and wonderful exotic creatures and stuff. I thought maybe there was a wee bit of... Uh, influence there perhaps yeah i think so you could be right because it, it, you don't really get to the motive in terms of what is driving colin to do this and as you say when he is in the the house um <sighs> you know when madeline says to him do you live in this big house yourself and he's like yeah i belong mm. to my parents there is a a bit of a yeah mm. query there i wonder what his actual motive is but yeah it's just a bit of a screw loose i guess do you um do you want to come back with me you don't mind i'd rather go straight home I'll cook a really good spaghetti bolognese. After quiche and pizza? Your stomach must be lead lined. <laughs> Just for a nightcap then. I've got to let the dog out. Okay. Well, that was Nestive Vipers by Tagger, and I think um yeah, it's a second appearance for Tiger on the podcast, mm. and I don't know if it'll—I don't think it'll be the last. I'm pretty sure we'll, well, maybe not. a later one with Alex Norton at some point, just to to see how things progress. I've got one in mind already okay. for a few episodes time. So, <laughs> oh, fantastic. Okay, wonderful. Um, okay, so that was my choice on the podcast, uh, Greg. What are we going to be looking at on the next episode of the Culture Swally? Well, I'm I'm going for something really really selfish and perhaps (laughs) and perhaps a wee bit timely as well uh you mentioned it before we started recording but um we covered the first series of Irvin Welsh's crime uh I think it was last last year earlier this year like a good few episodes ago the new series is out now it's available on the STVI player I'm desperate to see it I know you've watched an episode already uh so just because I'm so desperate to see it and we might get and we might we may get some downloads as well because it's contemporary and people will be talking about it. I want to do a series two of Irvin Welsh's crime. Fantastic. Yeah, I watched the first episode last night and I have to say I am looking forward to this evening to watch episode two because yeah. um yeah, it did not disappoint. And um yeah, Amanda Drummond. Oh <laughs> um yeah. So um yeah, oh, oh, fantastic. I'll look forward to uh, to watching the rest of that and then discussing with you next time on the Culture Swally. Right, well, thank you very much for listening everyone. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to get in touch with us about anything that you've seen in the news or anything you'd like us to cover, you can drop us an email on cultureswally at gmail.com. And you can follow us on the socials as well. Get in touch with us there on anything uh, you'd like to get in touch with us about or just to say hello. You can follow us on Insta at Culture Swally Pod or you can follow us on X at Swally Pod. And Greg, we have a wonderful website as well, don't we? We do. You can meet, you can find us at cultureswally.com uh, where you can read about interesting things about Scottish media. You can get in touch with us through the socials. And if, you, if you're sitting there thinking what your dream uh, cast might be for a, a, a sort of young Taggart series, then send us your suggestions. And if we like them, maybe we'll mention them in the next episode or a future episode even. Wonderful. All right. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to go off and watch a bit of Crime Series 2 then. And uh, I'll speak to you about it on the next episode of The Swally, Greg. Until next time. Until next time. You wanted me, sir? Oh, I want the both of you. I'm sending you to a party. A party, sir? There's a knees up at Casco's tonight for the entire research department. An engagement or something. I want you to go there, keep your ears and your eyes open. See if there's any connection with anyone there and Janet Gilbert. <laughs> but they know who we are, sir. So? 
people get drunk at parties. They talk. You let them talk. 